Good morning, Cedar Springs. The scripture for this morning, our Old Testament lesson, comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 21 through 27. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then our prophetic word comes from the uh, prophecy, the, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 3 through 7, and then in verse 10. He being Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And now verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has been put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then our sermon text and our gospel lesson is from the gospel of Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? They stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was mighty, a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. 
But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it, gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, found the 11, those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Uh, First off, good morning. We're so glad that you're joining us in whatever format that you're joining us. I'm just going to be honest. I just miss seeing your smiling faces. I miss watching the awkward ways that you greet each other when we ask you to stand up and greet and hug and whatnot. Uh, I just miss seeing you guys. I miss hearing your voices as you sing and worship to the Lord. Um, So it is with sadness at times that we even come here and we gather. But it is so important for us as God's people to continue to worship him. We need this consistency and this pattern and this rhythm to what is an already kind of crazy and strange time of life. I want to first say uh, congratulations to the Heaton family. As you know, we have questions for all the kids to answer to help them pay attention to the sermon. We'll go ahead and put the questions up so you have some time to start writing those down. And what we do is we take all those responses. I let you email them to me at sermon at csbc.net by the end of Monday, and then we just draw them out of a hat. And so the the name that got drawn out was the Heatons. So sent them a family game this week. Hopefully you've already received it. If not, you can email me. That would be great to know. But we just want to be engaged. That's the important part of this for all of us is to be engaged as we hear from God's word. And as you know, for the month of April, we've been looking at God. How do we see a full picture of who he is? And we do that because we see Jesus. Jesus said, all that I do is what I've seen the father doing. So for us to fully understand God, we look at Jesus. And we started by seeing a God who weeps on Palm Sunday, and then on Monday, Thursday, a God who serves, on Good Friday, a God who sacrifices, and then last week, a God who conquers, who conquers sin and conquers death and conquers doubt. And today, we're going to look at a God who reveals, who reveals himself, who makes himself known. Um, You know, we're just, I don't know what kind of stuff you're doing to bide your time during this. I don't know what kind of shows you're watching or games you're playing and stuff. Um, We've been looking for different shows as a family to watch, and I'm going to just go guilty pleasure here. We've started watching The Masked Singer. Um, If you were here, you would have laughed at that. I know that for a fact. Um, It's, let me describe it to you. Imagine B-list celebrities, half of which you don't know, dressed in the most outlandish and wild and weird costumes possible, singing terribly. That's the premise of the show. They disguise their voices, and the whole point is they give clues, and you have to guess who it is. The first time we started to watch this show, I mean, I rolled my eyes, groaning like this is all. I am, my life has hit a new low that this is how I'm spending my time. But then as you get to the end of the thing and the reveal, it's fascinating. Like you want to know, like, who is this person? Like, I've got the clues. I think I've put it together. I think I know how they sound when they're singing. And you get to that last, you have to endure 45 minutes of that show for the last three minutes that really is awesome. It's that moment of being revealed. I've gotten one so far, season one, because of his voice. I knew him well. But for us, that's who we are, aren't we? We love the revelation of the mystery. We love to to watch movies and read books where there's a mystery involved and we try to put the clues together because we love how it's revealed at the end. And for us, I think that's why this resonates with us, that we have a God who reveals himself to us. A God is not a mystery in his totality, but is easily makes himself known. 
that we may know things about him and makes himself so available and so obvious to us in so many ways. So as we look through the story today, we're gonna see three ways that God reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to us through his presence, through his word, and through his table. So first, let's understand the context of what's going on. Always so important. This is Easter day still. This is still the day of the resurrection. And we find these two people, Cleopas and someone else, who are disciples, but not of the 12 disciples. And they are walking away from Jerusalem on their way to Emmaus. And you have to understand by putting yourself in their shoes, they are leaving because there's nothing left for them in their minds in Jerusalem, but a might've-been Messiah in rumors of a resurrection. They find themselves distraught. They find themselves confused. They find themselves sad. They had given up much to follow Jesus, to watch him teach. They believed he was the Messiah, the chosen one. So they found themselves shocked when he gets arrested, when he's found guilty at trial, when he's killed. They don't really know what to do with themselves or what to think about themselves. So they do as best they can. We assume that they're going home, walking on the way, really confused, wishing that they understood, wishing that they knew. And so as they walk, Jesus first shows himself through his presence. As they're talking, and it says this word for discussion in the Greek is a heated debate or argument. So this wasn't just like a polite conversation between two people. It was them really wrestling with what's happening. How could this have happened? How did we miss the signs so badly? How could we have thought that he was the Messiah and now he's dead? What is going on? And then we find out later, even debating, can you believe that the women who came to us said that he's raised? I mean, is that even possible? Are they just crazy? There's this idea that they're so wrapped up in their conversation that they don't even notice that Jesus showed up. That's what the Greek word is when he kind of comes and interrupts their conversation. They were so busy in conversation that all of a sudden Jesus just kind of appears on their side. If you ever had that happen, you refeel someone kind of, but it's too late and you kind of have to jump. It's that moment he comes to them and he comes to them to answer their concerns, to answer their doubts, to answer their worries. And what I love about this is I'm afraid that you and I sometimes get wrapped up in this belief that Jesus only comes to us when we're always looking for him. Are we told to seek after him? Absolutely, and we'll find him when we seek him with all of our heart. But these guys are walking away from the truth. There's a rumor of his resurrection in Jerusalem. And rather than to stay and wait it out, it's not like they're standing at the tomb trying to find the answers. And then Jesus appears to him and is like, well, I'm gonna reward your great effort for following the clues to get to here. They're walking away in the opposite direction of where the truth was. And Jesus shows up to them. He finds them on the road. Of all the people he could have appeared to and all the people he does appear to, he comes to them as they're walking and he listens. It's best we can tell he's listening to them first and then he enters in. What is it you're discussing? And that question reveals their hearts, this sad, sullen, downcast moment, but also their surprise. How do you not know? Do you really not know what's been going on? Are you the only one who's not aware? And they give a little picture, Jesus of Nazareth, we thought he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed in front of God and people. They give this quick explanation. We thought he was the chosen one. We thought he was the Messiah, but now he's dead. And then they reveal their heart. But we had hoped. 
We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. They lay their hearts bare in their sadness and in their confusion to Jesus who showed up, not even knowing who he is. Because they had hoped that they would be free of Rome. They hearkened back. This idea of redeem and redemption was the Exodus passage that we read. They assumed redemption meant that God was going to free them from Roman rule in the same way that he freed them from Egyptian rule. Not realizing that Jesus didn't come to free them from Rome. He came to free them from sin, their greatest enemy that they weren't even aware of. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. Do you know what this is a picture of, of his presence? Because again, we still have his presence now. We don't get to see him physically, visibly, bodily. We will one day. But this is a picture of prayer. It's a picture of us in our wonderings, in our questions, in our concerns, and Jesus meets us in those places. When we share our hearts, we share our hopes, we share our dreams, we share our concerns, and he listens to us. And then we seek out his will through the way that we pray. When we pray for different things, we can sort God's will by how he answers those prayers. That's one of the things that's taken a long time for me to learn. I have a laundry list of things I want Jesus to do. And when he doesn't answer the way I want, I don't just chalk it up to, well, maybe I'm praying for the wrong things. I just get possessive and selfish and frustrated. But it is true that over the years, the places where I've just sat and listened, and as I've offered these prayers to him and my concerns to him, how he has led me to answers has shown me his heart and has shown me his will. Me being here at this job, that was all of that, of offering to the Lord, like, if you want me to go to Cedar Springs, God, you're going to have to open up all the doors. You're going to have to make, and if it's not your will, close them. I want it to be abundantly clear this is not where I'm supposed to be. And that was a long process of praying and God continued to open a door here and a door here and a door here that's led me now to this place. That is his presence for us. If you are in Christ, his presence, we have his Holy Spirit to hear from us and listen to us. But too often we're scared that we can't really share our hearts with Jesus. We can't really let him know what burdens us. Forgetting that he knows those things anyway and he longs for us to present them to him. He longs to hear from us. That's his loving duty to give us his presence. Never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. But not only does he come by his presence, he comes through his word. He comes to them right off the bat. What he says is he hears all this. He goes, oh, you who are slow of heart and foolish to believe. It is a mild rebuke. So understand, this was not like an angry, frustrated, Jesus turning the money tables rebuke. I think sometimes we always assume that's his posture in rebuke. And it's not. He could come in a lot of different ways, but he does want to give them truth and love. Too often, I'm a person who just wants to give love or just wants to give truth. I don't want to do one or the other. I'm either going to call you out frustrated or I'm going to love you and just cover over the truth. Jesus never did that lovingly, he goes, you guys, you should know better. And he's not rebuking them for not believing the testimony of the women. He's like, you should know what the scriptures say. You guys are better than this, you know. And he does this beautiful picture of translating the Old Testament for these guys. Now, Jesus could have just said, don't you remember when I said this? 
because he knows when they were around him and the teachings he gave. Don't you remember that I said I have to die? Don't you remember I said I would rise again on the third day? Don't you remember these words that your Messiah said? He doesn't reference those at all. He goes back to the Old Testament, goes back to their Bible at the time and starts right where they were. He starts at redemption. Okay, you're worried about redemption? Let me start with Moses. And we don't know for sure all the, I would have paid any amount of money. When people say, hey, if you could go back in time and be at any biblical thing, this is always on the list for me. To walk and hear Jesus expound the Old Testament would have been fascinating and beautiful and wonderful. And here's just an idea. Here's some speculation at some of the things he would have covered. The Genesis prophecy, uh, the Noah's Ark, the fact of Abraham and Isaac, the burning bush, uh, the Passover, pillar of fire and cloud, uh, the serpent staff in the wilderness, manna, the day of atonement, sacrifices, the prophets, the priests, the kings, the tabernacle, the temple, the 10 commandments, the suffering servant that we read from Isaiah 53, Jonah, a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Jonah twice because I love it just that much. He took all of the scriptures that they understood and said, you know what their point is? Their point is to point to me and how I had to suffer. They only saw a small picture of what the Bible was really about. They saw the glory of the Messiah without the suffering. They saw him being the conquering hero. They did not see that he would have to die. He would have to suffer. He would have to struggle. And for us at times, if we only read the parts of the Bible that we like, we're missing out on a huge, beautiful picture of who God really is. The parts that are easy to understand, the parts that make us feel good, it is easy for us to get caught in the same trap that they were. And he's giving them the totality of scripture, all of it. Moses, the law, the prophets, the histories, every part saying, you know why that exists? It exists to point to me. My encouragement for you during this time of quarantine, if you have some extra time, read the Old Testament. It won't be easy. It'll be complicated and difficult and hard. And there's things you won't understand. But looking at it and saying, how does this show me Jesus? How does this show me his heart, his love, his care for me? He expounds all the scriptures. He wants to give them truth. And he does so to help them have a full grasp of understanding that the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was God's will all throughout that this would happen to him. He was not surprised by what happened on Good Friday. This was part of the plan from the beginning. And for him to explain that to them. But not just through his presence, not just through his word, but also through his table. What happens at the end is Jesus is gonna keep going. He's gonna keep walking on beyond Emmaus. And the people are, these two people are like, no, 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 please stay with us. And actually the word they use is abide, abide with us, Jesus, hearkening us to John 15. And it gives us a clear picture that Jesus was not gonna force himself on them in the same way he does not force himself on us. We see in Revelation chapter three, what does he say? I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with them. He was waiting on this invitation. He was not gonna force his way or his plan. And can you imagine what would happen if they didn't do that? 
If they wouldn't have invited him in, they would have said, man, that guy sure knew a lot about the Bible, but they would have not had this testimony of the risen Jesus Christ. They invite him in to a meal. They make him the master of the dinner, which is the head of the table to set the table for him that he's gonna serve other people. And we get this beautiful picture. He's not just gonna tell them truth. He's gonna demonstrate it for them. He takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them. And their eyes were open and they noticed and recognized for the first time that it was actually Jesus. We don't know for sure why. There's lots of reasons why. It could have been it's the first time they saw his hands. How often as you're walking down the road, you look at someone's hands and to see the scars that he had. But it's also such a clear picture of other meals in scripture. Think about the very first meal in scripture. Adam and Eve see, they take, they eat and their eyes were open. They realized that they were naked. That's how sin entered the world. And we get this beautiful picture of the Messiah and the Redeemer doing the exact same thing at his resurrection to say that it's fulfilled that. I've now covered over that sin. Your eyes are now open to the truth that I have conquered sin and death forever. But it also is a picture of the feeding of the 5,000. The exact same thing that Jesus would do. He would take bread, bless it, break it, share it with other people. Also as a picture to the Last Supper, as a picture to these beautiful sacraments, one of these beautiful sacraments that we have, that for us is not just some kind of rote thing that we do, but it's a beautiful picture that fulfills what scripture says about him, that he had to sacrifice, that he had to die, that he had to shed his blood for you and for me. And it is so important for us to continue to celebrate that sacrament. And it's been probably one of the things I've hated the most that we've not been able to gather and to take the Lord's Supper. So we even now are looking for ways that we could do that virtually with you because we think it's that important. But it's an important part when it's connected to the scriptures. When it's connected to the word, you see how he put those two together. He gives the word, then he gives what would be the sacrament. N.T. Wright gives us a quote to kind of help us see that. You take away scripture and the sacrament becomes a piece of magic. Take the sacrament away and scripture becomes an intellectual or emotional exercise detached from real life. They need each other. Such an important part that they are hand in hand together. So then the table doesn't show a picture of something that's not true from scripture. This is what God has given us to reveal himself to us. Every page, every word. And he reminds us of that from the table. He reminds us of that from the sacrifice that he made for us that goes to all of our senses as we hear the bread broken, as we taste the grape juice, smell the bread, hear the words of institution that to all of our senses, we see and remember the sacrifice of Christ, the importance of the table. So what do we do with all that? What's so interesting is as soon as they realize who Jesus is, he disappears. And they're left with an unbelievable story. And can you imagine being in their shoes in this moment? Because here they have options. One, you hear them talk. We got to talk about this. We can't just let this go. Did our hearts not burn within us as he was giving us the scripture? Things I've never thought about before from scripture, how they pointed to him. So clear. And it would have been easy for them to stay right there. 
if they could sit for the rest of the night sharing stories about things that he said and ways that they felt, and for the next few days, they would just live off the high, that mountaintop experience of that for a while. But that wasn't enough for them. It says they left that very hour to go back. The seven-mile journey, and it's nighttime at this point. What they said to Jesus when they invited him in is the day's already spent. It's almost night. So this journey becomes very dangerous at night and they didn't care. They had to go. They had to go. Because God reveals himself to us that we will go and reveal him to others. Think about when you first became a Christian. If you're a Christian, think about the first time when you first heard this. Didn't you want to tell everybody? I was witnessing to all kinds of people at school, on the football team. I wanted to tell anybody and everybody that didn't know Jesus about Jesus. And I was terrible at it, awful at it. But it just was who I was. It was so important to me. And it's easy for us to lose that desire and that fire for the truth because we've forgotten just how valuable and important it is. We have the words of eternal life to save souls they realized that and had to go back and went to tell the 11 what they had seen, what they had heard. They had been revealed so much and their job was to reveal it to others. I think if we're honest with ourselves at times, we feel like Jesus is kind of like, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones in the last crusade and he's trying to find the Holy Grail at the end, It's like there's a challenge, there's a map. I've got to be penitent. I've got to be faithful. I've got to be worthy. And we have to jump through all these hoops to find God. And I know that some of us feel that way. Like, I want to know God. I want want him to reveal himself to me. But I've got to do all these things or he won't. I've got to show myself worthy. Guess what? He already found you worthy on the cross of Jesus Christ. You're already worthy. He stands ready. Psalm 145 says, he is near to those who call out to him, who call out to him in truth. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is here amongst us and he longs to be known. He's not hiding off in the corner somewhere. And if you just do all the steps right, if you just figure it all out and you're just good enough, you're gonna find me. No. His presence stands ready for us to call out and cry out to him in prayer. Everything we need to know about him, we find in his word and scripture. So when we find ourselves in these days, confused, sad, questioning, wondering, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I getting out of it? Is there the lesson that I'm supposed to learn? What should I be doing differently? And we seek to know what is it that God wants from us in all this? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like for everyone. I don't know exactly what he wants for you and how he's working it, but I do know that he wants you to know it. I do know he has revealed it to you in prayer and through scripture if we'll just go to him. And it won't be easy, but it won't be because he's hiding it from us. I can only tell you one thing. If I could tell you what God's will is for you, would you be okay today? Would you be excited about that? I can do that. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, 5.18 tells us exactly what God's will is for you. It says to be thankful in all circumstances for that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our call. In the midst of the struggle and frustrations to be thankful people and to be a people of prayer, to be a people of his word and to be a people who want to reveal 
him because he is so great and he's revealed himself to us. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are such a good God to us. You reveal yourself to us through prayer. Help us to be a people of prayer, to cry out to you, to lift our hearts to you, our issues, our concerns, our doubts. Father, that you are big enough for that and that you answer us. Maybe not how we want or when we want, but you answer us. And thank you for your word, that you reveal yourself through your word, that we get to see a clear picture of your heart and love for your people. Get to see your sacrifice and get to see your victory as you rose again from the dead as we celebrated last Sunday. Father, help us to be a people who take what has been revealed to us and revealed to others. As we see you answer prayers that will tell others, as we see great things you're showing us in scripture that will tell others, and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and are reminded of your sacrifice that we would tell others. Because we're your plan A to share the faith to the ends of the earth. So let us who have been revealed much be those who reveal much to others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.